0: Well, good evening to all of you. What a joy and privilege it is to be here gathered together with you this evening. I am so grateful for our our brothers and sisters at Christ Fellowship Bible Church that have uh, been so kind and gracious to host this conference. Very important information for us to be thinking about and anticipating, because in the end we know that our Lord Jesus Christ, He wins and He reigns. And uh, that is a privilege for us to contemplate on this day and every other day. So I'm looking forward to jumping into this with you here this evening, and so thankful for my brother Pastor Jeff, and uh, and for this church that has been so grateful to host this conference. I see some familiar faces from the church where I serve at New Community Church. It's good to see you all here, and uh, some new faces, as uh, I, I see some of you here that I don't yet know, but would enjoy the opportunity to get to know you. Now, I know I've got very little time and a very big topic, so I better go ahead and jump on in. You know, recently I was part of a, a small group conversation where the subject of the Antichrist came up, and that is the the subject that I have been appointed to address this evening, and I'm not quite sure how we got onto that subject, but the speculation quickly turned to who is the Antichrist going to be, and One hypothesis there in that group was that he is the newly minted King Charles himself. (laughs) Well... Growing up in the context of church circles, that kind of speculation was not new to me because I've always heard people theorizing about who is the Antichrist going to be? And they've said, well, he, he was or could have been Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. And more recently, and perhaps disturbingly, I grew up hearing people speculating that, no, the Antichrist, he's Bill Clinton for sure. And right after that, it was, no, we think he's actually George W. Bush. And then in his turn, Barack Obama got tagged. And and as you might expect, even this morning, I was reading an article about how some people think that, no, it's Donald Trump because he's actually being very friendly to Israel. You know, it's pretty much true that anyone with any measure of worldly power here on this planet at some point is going to end up becoming a, a suspect in this great cosmic whodunit mystery. Who is the Antichrist? But you know, such newspaper kind of exegesis is always most likely destined to be proven wrong. As you can see from what I've just said, there is great and abiding confusion about the Antichrist. But, folks, I'm here to tell you this evening that if you approach the scriptures humbly, using the proper rules for interpretation, clarity can be found, which is why I'm so grateful for my brother hosting this conference as we seek to have clarity on those events that are still to come. Now, that clarity, it's true for the Antichrist. and the classic passage on the Antichrist is found in Revelation 13, where we're given some very clear and helpful context. And I know you've already covered that context to some degree, but according to the flow of the book of Revelation and end times prophecy, let me just review the nutshell version for you. After the church is raptured and the tribulation period begins, the Antichrist, he will arise as a counterfeit of Christ, Satan's perverse version of Jesus. And he essentially begins his career by making a treaty with Israel whom he promises to protect. And then in the middle of that tribulation period, according to Revelation 13.5, he breaks that pact, desecrates their temple, blasphemes their God, and precipitates ultimately the holocaust that we know as Armageddon. And that is the big, we'll call it very bad, picture. But you see, Revelation... Though very specific and very literal, it's also very future. And therefore, it leaves us with some very big questions about who this Antichrist is and what he will be like. And to really dig down and answer those questions, which is the task that I've been given here this evening, you've got to broaden your scope out a little bit beyond the boundaries of the book of Revelation. Because there's many other passages of Scripture that provide us with great clarity about this question of what the Antichrist will be like. And that's what we're going to talk about here this evening. Now really, the place, while the book of Revelation gives us the clearest picture of his career, the most information about the Antichrist is actually given to us in the book of Daniel. You see, in the book of Daniel, the Antichrist is talked about in chapters 7, 8, 9, and again in chapter 11. And it really is the book of Daniel that can be used as the prophetic key that unlocks, if you will, the mysteries that are found for us in the book of Revelation. So tonight, what I want you to do is open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 11. Because the information that is given to us by the prophet Daniel about the Antichrist, it is a story that tells us the natural conclusion to that germinal work of Satan that began with the fall of Adam. And in the book of Daniel, see, that story that began all the way back in the Garden of Eden, it comes to its fullest maturity in Satan's masterpiece work, none other than the Antichrist himself. See, he is the pinnacle of Satan's rebellion. And that's the message of Daniel chapter 11, and it's why I've asked you to turn there. Now, you have to understand here, just for the sake of context as we get going, that as the prophet Daniel was writing, everything in chapter 11 was still in the future for him. But from where you and I sit here this evening, a portion of the events in Daniel 11 are in the past, but a portion of them are still to come in the future. Alright? So specifically, to help you understand, verses 1 through 35 in Daniel 11 have already been fulfilled in history. Now tonight, we don't have time to trace that fulfillment here this evening, but we could, and you would be amazed at the level of specificity that that has been fulfilled with in human history. And if you're interested in hearing an explanation of the first half of Daniel 11, verses 1 through 35, come talk to me or send me an email and I'd be happy to share you a link with, with that teaching. But suffice it for now to say that with startling accuracy and precision, everything contained in those first 35 verses has already been fulfilled. And in those first 35 verses, we are introduced to a... Type of the Antichrist, a historical king that is known to history as Antiochus Epiphanes, a man whose career, his character, his pathway served as a model, a 2D mugshot, if you prefer, that foreshadowed what the final Antichrist would be like and what he would do. And in the person of Antiochus, what we learn of the coming future Antichrist is that this man would be terrible. He would be wicked. He would stand as a representative, and that's what Antiochus did. He represented events that are still yet to come. Indeed, the Apostle John, the author of Revelation, says over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, Look, many Antichrists have come, but they lowercase A versions of the Antichrist are not the Antichrist. He is the one with what we could call an uppercase A, and he is still to come. So if you're tracking with me, and I hope that you are, the events that are spoken of in verses 1 through 35, they concluded in the year 163 B.C., and they refer to a lowercase representative. But see, folks, in the white space... Between verses 35 and 36 here in Daniel 11, as happens so often in biblical prophecy, we leap across the centuries. We leap across, really, millennia, at least, counting today, 2,186 years. And beginning in verse 36, the one that is introduced to us is the final foe, the ultimate uppercase Antichrist and we meet him in verses 36 to 45 in full living 3D color. And here, in these verses, we find some clarity about the Antichrist. And that's why I want to look at those verses with you here this evening. We'll start by seeing the character of the Antichrist as it's laid out for us here in verses 36 through 39. Now, the Antichrist, if you survey the biblical information that's given to us about him. He is given several titles throughout the Bible. And and this passage is going to string all that information together for us, but let me just review those titles. In Daniel chapter 7, he is referred to as the little horn who is different from all the other kings, and he is exceedingly terrifying. And in Daniel 7, that exceedingly terrifying little horn is crushed by God. In Daniel chapter 8, he is called the king who has a fierce countenance or a fierce face. And in that passage, we're told, he ends up being broken by God. In Daniel chapter 9, he is called the prince that shall come. And in that passage, he is completely destroyed by God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he is called the man of sin and the son of perdition. And in that passage, he is, quote, slain by the breath of God. In Revelation chapter 13, he is called the beast. And at the end, this beast is cast into the lake of fire by God. See, what's so very interesting about the Antichrist is that every time he's talked about, every time he's referred to, his end is always specified. And it comes at the hand of none other than God himself. See, do you see the pattern emerging? Yes, the Antichrist, he is absolutely terrible. The evil, the likes of which this world has never seen. But just as quickly as Scripture is clear to explain to us what he will be like, it's also very quick and clear to explain what his ending will be. And it always comes at the hand of or by the very breath of our God who wins. So I want you to understand. The Antichrist, as we talk about him here tonight, he is bad, all right? I think we can go ahead and agree on that. But God, your God, my God, he is greater. We have to begin our time by framing up our understanding of the Antichrist by seeing him in light of and against the backdrop, if you will, of who our God is. For he is greater. For to consider the Antichrist without also considering the reality of who our God is and the end of the Antichrist is to miss the point entirely, okay? So we have to frame our thoughts up that way. Now, tonight, I'm not so much interested, I'm sorry to say to your disappointment, in speculation about who the Antichrist is, because that is an impossible kind of prediction, I'm more interested in educating you in what he will be like and what his career path looks like. Because that part about him is actually made very clear for us in Scripture. I, I want, as we begin to talk about his character here, to just show you, here in Daniel chapter 11, six different traits of his character. There in verse 36, right away, you can see that he is characterized as presumptuous and all of these Characteristics. will start with a P to keep it clear in your mind, and at least in, in my mind, all right? So in verse 36, we find out that he is, right away we're told, the king who will do as he wills. See, he is a king who is going to exercise the ultimate kind of presumption. He will make all decisions that are before him. He will do according to, the text says here, his own will. He will be an absolute sovereign, an absolute dictator, and he will rule with utter selfishness and self-will. He will take it upon himself to rule the world according to his own satanic desires. It's the ultimate presumption that literally will rule over the affairs of mankind. Elsewhere, in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, for instance, we're told that he even presumes to rule over the people of God. He presents himself to those people as a deliverer. I'm sure you've already talked about that last night in your overview of the tribulation period. And all the kingdoms of the earth, they're all going to want a piece of Israel. And yet, this one will fend them off pretending to be their great protector for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, presuming to take God's place as Israel's protector. See, he tries to set himself up as being their God in the place of God. Folks, that is the ultimate presumption. And it's what we're told that he will be here in Daniel eleven thirty-six. 36. He's presumptuous. But as verse 36 continues to speak of this one, he's also characterized as being proud as well, he shall, we're told here, exalt himself and magnify himself above, get this, every God. See, the, 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 the Old Testament type, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a proud man. History can prove that out. And in the first half of Daniel chapter 11, we see that that historical prefiguring of the Antichrist, Antiochus, he was an egomaniac. But he never went this far, see. He very religiously worshipped the gods of the Greeks and even tried to force the Jews to do the same. But the Antichrist, no. He will be absolutely atheistic, irreligious, setting himself up as being above every god. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 describes that for us this way. It says, he will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. See, folks, that is the ultimate form of pride. He isn't given that honor by the people. No, we're told here that he takes it for himself. He exalts himself, we're told. He opposes all forms of religion Everything that has ever been called God, all that is worshipped, all deities, all shrines, all images, all altars, everything will take a second place to him. This man is proud enough to rip away the veil of religiosity and brazenly worship himself and call everyone else to do the same thing in a way that all can see. That's what Daniel 11.36 tells us of this man. You see, he is one who is presumptuous. He is proud. But as verse 36 goes on, we're told that he is profane as well. Look at what it says there with me. It says, He shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. See, this man is going to be a blasphemer without equal. He will blaspheme in ways that are without precedent. And what exactly that looks like, I don't know, but I can only begin to imagine because, folks, I have heard, and you have heard, in the context around us, and as you look at the context of history, some pretty severe kinds of blasphemy. But this man is going to be one, according to Revelation 13, verses 5 through 6, who is one unto whom is given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he will, Revelation thirteen five tells us, open his mouth to blaspheme against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and that, and against them that dwell in heaven. See, he is, in many ways, the very mouthpiece of hell. He opens his mouth and hell speaks. He is profane. We're told in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, that he even tries to change God's moral laws. Those fundamental standards that God has set, This man will blaspheme God with a degree of insolence and self-exaltation that goes beyond anything anyone has ever done or known. He is a profane man. But Daniel 11 keeps going on in its description of this one. It says he is also characterized as one who is being very perverse as well. Look at verse 37. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. You see there a perversion of respect for the family. He doesn't respect or regard traditional religion, the traditional worship of his fathers. He has no respect for his parents, no respect for their heritage, no respect for the traditions of their fathers, no respect for the beliefs that have been handed down to them. You keep going there in verse 37, you see his perverse respect for love itself. Neither does he regard the desire of women. Now, this is a little difficult in interpretation here. It could mean that he is either a homosexual or, is that he, or that he just has no interest in loving anyone, women at all. Regardless, it means that he is a perverse man. That's what the point of the text is there. And how that fleshes itself out, future history will tell us. But he is also perverted in his respect for God. See, he doesn't regard any God. You know, most people in this world believe in some kind of a God, but this man does not. He is utterly, as we've already said, irreligious. And that too is a perversion of normal human need for religious direction. See, this man, he is perverse in every way. He is profane. He is proud. He's presumptuous. But then we get down here to verses 38 and 39 and we find out that finally he's going to be characterized as being very powerful as well. We're told that he will magnify himself above everything. He will become, it says there, the God of fortresses. That's the God that he will honor. A God whom, verse 38 says, his fathers did not know, that's the one that he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. And those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and divide the land for a price. See, in the place of normal human affections, this man will worship himself and his own military power and prowess. Daniel chapter 7, verse 23 tells us that when he comes... He will devour the whole earth before him. He will honor the God of forces, even a God whom his fathers knew not. Right? That's who he will be. Thus he shall do in the strongest fortresses with a foreign God. He's going to take the whole earth and then to make sure that he can hang on to it, he's going to divide it up amongst those who are willing to honor him. See, that's what this man is going to be like. That's his character. He says to them, you cooperate with me, and I'll give you a kingdom. The result of this is that he comes out sitting on top of a whole pile, all of humanity under his rulership during the period of the tribulation. See, that's what his character is going to be like, and I wanted you to see that, because I wanted you to see the depth of his depravity. But let's talk here for just a couple of minutes about the career of this Antichrist. You see that in verses forty through forty four there and You can read that for yourself and we won't take the time to do that because I know that time is short, but I will tell you that these are some of the most difficult verses to understand in the book of Daniel. The first part of this chapter was confusing at first, who is Antiochus Epiphanes and what is going on here, but it's easily unraveled when you superimpose the lens of human history over the first half. But see, these verses here, 40 through 44, they don't have the lens of history because they're all still future. And it seems as though nearly every commentator who writes on these verses in Daniel 11 has a different interpretation. For instance, who is the king of the south? Is that Egypt or an African confederation? And who is the king of the north? The European Union, Russia, Syria? Is the Antichrist himself the king of the north? And even more confusing, who is the he who enters into the many nations here? And what role does modern weaponry play in all of this? What are the modern counterparts of horsemen and chariots and ships? We don't know. That's my professional answer for you all, okay? But let me give us a very important clarification. It's not that this passage is unclear, because it's not unclear. It's that our perspective, historically, is lacking. Because nobody's been through this yet. We, we can't see into the future to understand these details with clarity and specificity. But folks, I'm here to tell you that where our perspective may be limited, God's is not. It's not as though he had history under his control at one point and now here in Daniel 11 at the very end it just spirals away from him. No, everything from the first moment of creation has been under his perfect control. Folks, the point of these verses is to underscore the reality of God's sovereignty even in the end. And as bad as the Antichrist is in his character and as fearsome as his career path is going to look like during that tribulation period... This passage is written for the people who are going to be living through this tribulation, to to give them a road map to understand what is going on as it happens. And so, considering that, we we simply don't know how the events in this verse are going to play out, and I don't believe that we were meant to know with precision. All we need to know is that God is totally in control, and it will be played out just as it has been written, and you are holding that in your hands. Jesus talked about this period of human history in Matthew chapter 24 as being a time that is filled with wars and rumors of wars that are all being instigated by this one terrible character. Matthew 24 verses 6 through 7 tell us, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you are not alone, for that has to take place, but it's not yet the end, Jesus says. Because in that day, nation is going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And see, what Daniel 11 tells us is that the career path of this Antichrist during this time, it is going to make him a world leader just as the wrath of God is being poured out upon sinful humanity in judgment after judgment in a way that this world has not seen since the days of Noah and his flood. This man... He will lead the world to continue its rebellion against God even as God is pouring out His judgment upon that world for a period of these seven years. And that's the subject of this conference. But then it all comes crashing down. Because this Antichrist, humanity as a whole, Satan's twisted plot spawned in the garden and completed in the end, The sinfulness of the world itself, it all unravels before the judge of the universe. And that's the final thing about the Antichrist that I want you to see here this evening in Daniel chapter 11. Look with me at verse 45. We find the condemnation of this Antichrist. We've seen his character. We've seen his career path. Now we find his condemnation. And in verse 45 here it starts to restore some clarity to us because here at the end we've got a lot more scriptural information about what this is going to look like but we're told here in verse 45 that he is going to pitch his palatial tents between the seas and the and in the glorious holy mountain now the seas that Daniel would have been aware of in that day I believe were the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea and if you know your are Your geography of the land of Israel, you know what is smack dab in the middle between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It's the city of Jerusalem. It is the holy mountain here. And so what we find happening here is this Antichrist pitching his palatial tents, his magnificent dwellings right in between those two seas. On the, on the mountain. Well, the, the only mountain between those two seas is Mount Zion, the place of the temple, the city of God. And, and so what that tells us here is that we're at the very end of the tribulation. Where according to Revelation, the Antichrist has gone to war, not just with the nations of the earth, building a confederation of all of them together, but the one who had once been protecting God's people, that Antichrist, now at that midpoint, three and a half year th- years through, has turned on them. And Israel has now become the subject of this man's wrath as he seeks to eradicate and completely destroy them, backing a tiny fractal remnant of Israel into a corner. And he is now leading the nations of the earth to wipe them out the grandest and final holocaust of them all. So I ask you, is it over? Is that the way that redemptive history comes screeching to its halt? No. Look at the end of verse 45. Despite all of his victory, all of his power, all of the leadership that he has accumulated to himself, the greatness that he has ascribed to himself, how does it end? It says there that he shall come to his end and there will be none to help him. Now, in Daniel chapter 11, that's a little bit vague, but over in the book of Revelation, it's anything but vague. You could go, for instance, with me to Revelation chapter 19, where in verses 11 through 16, we're told very clearly how this happens with great and specific detail. Where Daniel leaves off and it's a little bit fuzzy, and we go back to the book of Revelation and it's anything but. Here's what it tells us. Jesus Christ comes out of the sky with a sword that proceeds from his mouth. And the Bible says that he will be slain with the sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus Christ because he is no match for God's true king, for God's true Christ. He is, after all, nothing but a fabrication. He is the Antichrist that has been developed and presented by Satan himself. He may have been a match for the king of the north. He may have been a match for the king of the south. He may have been a match for the king of the east, as Daniel chapter 11 explains to us. But folks, I'm here to tell you tonight that he is no match for King Jesus. And see, the end of the matter then is that this one who is called the man of sin, along with sinful humanity, is judged right there while the people of God find their salvation in Christ. And thus, verse 35 of Daniel 11 is completely fulfilled. This great man of sin, this beast of the sea, he is crushed. He is broken, completely destroyed. And as Second Thessalonians 2 tells us, he is slain by none other than the breath of God himself. See, the greatest threat to the plan of God for mankind as it's been personified in the person of the Antichrist... He ends up being defeated by the true Christ, paving the way for Jesus to reign victorious for all eternity, both spiritually and physically, just as God determined that he would do and who he would be as the completion of all things the one who reigns forever and ever, as the book of Colossians says, having been set up as the head of all things so that all things might now find their fulfillment in him and he might be the head of the body and that he might be preeminent in everything. For after all, he is the true Christ. He is no Antichrist. That one meets his end and there will be none to help him. That's our overview of the Antichrist for you this evening. And now I have to cede the floor to another brother.